Section GG is a standardized assessment developed by the Centers of Medicare and Medicaid Services, or CMS, in order to assess function, with two primary categories being self-care and mobility. Now, this is an assessment that is researched and studied, and it is standardized. Primarily, or I guess really only, it is used in post-acute care settings. So that includes long-term care hospitals, inpatient rehab facilities, skilled nursing facilities, and home health. So it is not currently utilized in outpatient or acute care or any other setting. Hi, I'm Clarice Grody, and welcome to the Amplify OT podcast. I'm an occupational therapist by trade and a policy wonk by choice. This podcast is here to help you survive and thrive in the U.S. healthcare system through a better understanding of policy, advocacy, and value-based care. So let's dive in. Hello, my wonderful OT amplifiers. Today, we are talking all about Section GG, which if you've been following along on Instagram, our latest Medicare Monday questions have been about Section GG. Honestly, this is one of my favorite topics to talk about, if anything, because it was really one of the first indications of the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services really starting to pay attention to function and mobility or self-care as an outcome that's desired from healthcare services. I also like Section GG just because it's honestly one of the first topics that I started learning about as a new clinician, as someone who is getting into policy and learning what exactly it's all about. And so this is actually one of the first articles that I've written on Amplify OT and one of the most popular articles that I have on my website. Um, And it's also one of the very first topics that I covered as an Inspire conference and a webinar. So you could say that I have a minor obsession with talking about Section GG, even though I will admit up front, it definitely has its problems. It is not the perfect assessment tool, but it is much better than what we have previously had before. So in this episode, we are going to go over some of the history of Section GG and how we wound up with it, what Section GG is, and also how to score it and some things to pay attention to. Now, if you really want to learn in depth about Section GG, about how to score it, about what all the items are, I have a training specifically on this assessment, an hour-long webinar on scoring and learning about Section GG in the Amplify OT membership. And then I also cover Section GG in each of the post-acute care lessons in Module 2. And then I think I also talk about it in Quality Measures. But honestly, I can't remember. I know it's kind of woven, though, throughout all the different settings. And of course, the Amplify OT membership is the best way to get in touch with me and ask questions. I'm really able to dedicate my time there. And by being a member of our community, you're supporting this podcast, you're supporting the articles, because that is really, at this point, one of my primary sources of income that I use to help support myself. So thank you to everyone who has joined the Amplify OT membership. Um, I really appreciate you. And if you want to learn more about Section GG, there's a link in the show notes to join the Amplify OT membership and be part of our community of amplifiers. And we do have a free version now. So you can join as a limited pass, which gets you access to a couple of different webinars and also access to our OT amplifiers community. So that way you can use the Amplify OT app on your 
iPhone. So coming out on Androids soon, but you can download the Amplify OT app for free today on the iPhone app store or on your iPad. So please do that. Um, I'm really excited about the use of the app. And without further ado, let's talk about Section GG. So to set a foundation before we dig into some of the history of this assessment, let's go ahead and talk about what exactly Section GG is. Section GG is a standardized assessment developed by the Centers of Medicare and Medicaid Services, or CMS, in order to assess function, with two primary categories being self-care and mobility. Now, this is an assessment that is researched and studied, and it is standardized. Primarily, or I guess really only, it is used in post-acute care settings. So that includes long-term care hospitals, inpatient rehab facilities, skilled nursing facilities, and home health. So it is not currently utilized in outpatient or acute care or any other setting. Now, technically, there's nothing preventing you from utilizing Section GG in any other setting that you want, but it is only required in the post-acute care settings and primarily only for Medicare, traditional Medicare patients. So the reason it's called Section GG and not something else is because if you work in post-acute care, you're most likely familiar with the assessments like the minimum data set, the MDS, or the IRFPI, or the OASIS and home health. There are sections of items or questions in those longer standardized assessments that are generally completed at admission and discharge. And so one of these sections in there is section GG. And the reason, at least that we can logically conclude as to why it's section GG and not some other letter of the alphabet is because there was already a section G in the MDS, which is one of the first places that this was rolled out, that addressed function, self-care and mobility. And so this was related to that, but couldn't also be called section G, so it's section GG. Also, you may be familiar with this because you may be scoring these items either every time you see a patient or you may be making a goal related to some sort of outcome from section GG. This is especially common in skilled nursing facilities. So most likely, if you have worked in one of those post-acute care settings, you have come across Section GG in some way, shape, or form with or without knowing it. Now, beyond assessing self-care and function, Section GG serves a really important role in both quality measure outcomes, so how CMS assesses the quality of care that's been provided to that patient um, and in your setting, and in reimbursement. Section GG does have an impact on reimbursement for both skilled nursing facilities and home health. So accurate scoring of this assessment is not only important to try and capture and represent the value of occupational therapy services and our impact on that patient, but also to ensure we are receiving adequate reimbursement to cover the services that the patient needs. So as you may already be figuring out, Section GG is a little complex in that it has multifaceted, has lots of impacts in healthcare, especially when it comes to traditional Medicare patients. And if you want to learn more about how exactly it does impact reimbursement, I have a podcast on PDPM and on PDGM. I also have articles, and then I cover them really in depth in our home health and SNF lessons in module two of Mastering OT Policy and Medicare, which is available to our student members and full access members of the Amplify OT membership. Because believe me, if we try to get into all those details today, this podcast would be like three hours long. And I don't really think you want to listen to me talk about Section GG for three hours. But if you do, let me know and maybe we can get something on the books. So let's go ahead and get into the history of this a bit because I always find it easier to understand information if I understand the reasoning behind 
why something was created, the intent behind it, and where it came from. So often when we talk about Section GG, the first thing that comes to mind tends to be the Impact Act of 2014, which is the Improving Medicare Post-Acute Care Transformation Act, or IMPACT, of 2014. But before we dive into the Impact Act, it's actually important to go back a little bit farther to 2005 when Congress passed the Deficit Reduction Act. Within this piece of legislation, Congress required CMS to develop a post-acute care payment reform demonstration, or what is also called a PAC-PRD. And this is where CMS started developing that very first assessment to look at function and mobility in a more standardized way, which was then called the CARE tool. Which, if you remember, AOTA used to have a full page dedicated to the CARE tool, a full video. This was really an exciting opportunity to be able to objectively demonstrate the value of occupational therapy services. Now, the CARE tool was designed to be used both in acute care hospitals as well as in post-acute care settings. And the CARE tool is spelled C-A-R-E. And because everyone loves a good acronym, right? It stands for Continuity Assessment Record and Evaluation. So if we're thinking about historical perspectives, right? We're in 2005. The initial standardized assessments that Medicare started rolling out for post-acute care hospitals or post-acute care facilities like LTACs, ERF, SNFs, and Home Health those were initially rolled out like early 2000s. Like the Oasis, I think, started 2000, 2001. CMS was still trying to get their bearings in terms of trying to collect standardized claims data and standardized information for patients. And so the care tool was an important part of that standardization to start actually collecting information on what services a patient was receiving and whether or not those services were high quality and having an impact. Now, admittedly, CMS did have items that were assessing self-care, function, etc. within the post-acute care settings and, and within their standardized assessments, right, that are completed on admission. But the way CMS often talks about it is they were essentially comparing apples to oranges. Because even though there were self-care questions in the LCDS, the IRFPI, the MDS, and the OASIS, they were all different. So they were worded differently. They had different scoring instructions, and they had a different method of scoring them. So if you were practicing at that time or you've looked at old forms, most likely you have heard, you know, Section G was the self-care items, and that was in the MDS up until October of this year. So you may still be seeing Section G items in the MDS. And then often what we see in home health is they are referred to as the M1800 items. So those tend to be the items that are addressing self-care and mobility. If you worked in inpatient rehab, then you were using the FIM. So Section GG is what did replace the FIM or the functional independence measure. So although the FIM is still a completely fine assessment for self-care and mobility, it is no longer required by Medicare for Medicare patients. Okay, so if we're going back again to the early 2000s to try and understand the reasoning behind why these policies were developed, in the 1980s, Congress required payments changes to be made to acute care hospitals. So it went from more of a fee-for-service model into a more bundled payment model, or what we now know as the Diagnostic Related Groups, or DRGs. So with the bundled payment model, it incentivized hospitals to decrease the length of stay, right? Because they weren't going to be receiving more money the longer a patient stayed. 
So instead, what then started happening, because shorter length of stays were incentivized, is that more and more patients were going to post-acute care than before. So the spending on post-acute care actually expanded exponentially, especially around therapy in the 1990s. So Congress and Medicare wanted a way to try and look at the payment in post-acute care because of how much it increased. And if you think about it, the payments between long-term care hospitals, ERFs, SNFs, and home health is very different, right? A long-term care hospital is much more expensive than home health, and same thing that ERF is more expensive to provide than SNF. But CMS wanted to know, are these patients actually different between settings? They wanted to understand what the risk factors are, what the functional levels are, and really try and figure out, does it make sense where patients are heading? Are these settings really that different? Or are we just sporadically paying more for a patient to go to inpatient rehab when they could go to SNF? And if you're a big old policy nerd like me, it's actually really interesting to read some of the studies and reports that came out around the time of the development of what we now know as the prospective payment system or PPS for SNF and home health and inpatient rehab and how they executed these studies to determine that you know, the FIM and those categories were much more appropriate for patients that went to inpatient rehab versus utilizing rug levels was much more appropriate to capture patients that went to skilled nursing facilities and could not necessarily be used inversely. And again, I hate to keep making plugs, but I don't really because this is my business, right? But again, I have a hour and a half webinar that if I have to admit to myself, I think is pretty good that covers the history of how Medicare reimbursement has impacted therapy since the 1980s. And so if you're wanting to try and figure out how the heck we got to where we are now, that's a really good webinar to watch. And that's available to full access past members of the Amplify OT membership. And it does issue a CE credit. Okay, so if some of this language is sounding familiar, right, wanting to figure out risk factors, wanting to figure out what needs a patient actually has, how sick they are, what services they should be receiving, the impact is probably because that's very similar language that's used today to talk about the development of the patient-driven payment model or PDPM in skilled nursing facilities and the patient-driven groupings model or PDGM in home health. As you can see, right, these policies start leading from one into the other and it just kind of keeps the ball rolling. So I will tell you one of my favorite soapboxes, which is This is another primary example of why it's important to get involved early and pay attention because decisions that were being made in the 1980s influenced decisions in the 90s, influenced decisions in the early 2000s, and here we are now in 2020s being influenced by decisions that were made in 2014 around Section GG, and this continues to evolve. So the earlier we're aware, the earlier that we're involved, the better off we are able to advocate for these changes over time. And this is, again, another reason why it's so important to have AOTA, because they have been there the whole time, even if we have not. So let's fast forward again to the Impact Act of 2014, which is arguably one of the most impactful pieces of legislation on post-acute care in recent history. So at this point, where we are now with the Impact Act of 2014, we've already had the CARE tool. It's already been utilized for a few years. And the Impact Act is pretty much codifying into law this idea of standardizing the way that we look at function and the way that we look at quality in post-acute care settings. So the Impact Act required two primary things. It required some standardization of quality measurement 
So the same quality measures are utilized in LTAC, ERF, and SNF predominantly. And some are also in home health, but for whatever reason, they haven't standardized it the same way they have the other post-acute care settings, but we'll decide not to look into that too much. Um, And they also require the development of what are called standardized patient assessment data elements or SPADES. And to take that information even a little bit further, the Impact Act required that this data be standardized so that it be consistent between all the same settings and able to be scored by different clinicians and that it be interoperable, meaning that the information can be exchanged between settings so that you could actually track how a patient does as they move through what we often call the continuum of care. So we could probably dive into the quality measures here for the Impact Act, but again, I think that's a whole other podcast episode, so I'll put that on my list. But loosely speaking, the standardized quality measures are things around skin integrity, functional status, medication, falls, readmissions, those sorts of things. And per CMS, these categories of assessments that were required to be standardized is functional status, cognitive function and mental status, special services, treatments, and interventions, medical conditions and comorbidities, impairments, and then other categories that are required by the secretary. So that functional status piece should be ringing a couple of alarm bells because that is section GG. Okay, so we had the Impact Act of 2014, Fast forward to 2016, and this is when Section GG first started to make an appearance. It was first adopted in long-term care hospitals, or LTACs, as part of the LCDS in April of 2016, and then it was implemented on the MDS for SNF and the IRFPI for inpatient rehab in October of 2016. It did not make its way to home health until 2019. And this is part of why Section GG was one of my initial obsessions, is because I was working in home health for 2018 until the very beginning of 2019. And so I had spent that time prepping for the introduction of Section GG. Okay, so I know I'm already almost like 20 minutes into this episode that I try and keep around 30 minutes. So we'll take a quick break and then we'll be back and talk about what Section GG is and briefly how to score it. Are you ready to take your occupational therapy practice to the next level? Then look no further than the Amplify OT membership. You heard that right. Amplify OT has its very own membership program. This membership is designed to help occupational therapy practitioners just like you stay informed about the latest developments in Medicare and advocacy. You will have exclusive access to resources, webinars, the Mastering OT Policy and Medicare course, Q&A sessions, plus the ability to DM me your questions and get answers fast. But of course, that is not all. As a member, you'll be part of a community of like-minded occupational therapy practitioners who share their expertise and offer support. So by joining the Amplify OT membership, you'll be able to stay up to date on the latest Medicare regulations and guidelines, learn how to advocate for your patients and your profession, connect with other OT practitioners and students to share your knowledge, And you'll have access to those exclusive resources and webinars so you can reach your full potential as an OT provider. So don't miss out on this opportunity to take your practice to the next level. Sign up for the Amplify OT membership today by going to the link in the show notes or amplifyot.com forward slash membership. Don't forget to stay informed and be the change that you want to see in our healthcare system. Today's episode is proudly sponsored by MedBridge, your go-to resource for advancing your occupational therapy career and, of course, getting those necessary CEUs. 
If you are passionate about staying at the forefront of our field and enhancing your skills, MedBridge is a comprehensive solution. With the MedBridge subscription, you gain access to an extensive library of high-quality live and recorded courses led by industry experts. So stay up to date with the latest advancements in occupational therapy, explore evidence-based practice, and enhance your clinical skills. One reason that I really like and recommend MedBridge is because they have both intervention-based courses and policy and reimbursement-based courses, and that is a rare find in a CEU company. But here's the best part for our OT Amplifiers community. If you use the promo code AMPLIFYOT at checkout, you'll unlock an exclusive 40% discount on your MedBridge subscription. Yes, you heard that right, 40% off with the code AMPLIFYOT, that's A-M-P-L-I-F-Y-O-T. This is a fantastic opportunity to save some money, elevate your practice, and support AmplifyOT. So don't miss out on this chance to supercharge your professional development and head over to MedBridge.com, use the promo code AmplifyOT, and enjoy the benefits of MedBridge while also supporting AmplifyOT and all the free resources that we produce here, like this podcast. So again, head to MedBridge.com, use the code AmplifyOT at checkout, and we also have the link for you in the show notes. Okay, welcome back. Let's talk more about the specifics of Section GG. So generally, when we think of Section GG, the assessment, we primarily think of it in two categories, which is self-care and mobility. Now, I want to get ahead of the game and make sure to clarify that occupational therapists are able to score all parts of Section GG. There is no PT section or OT section. There's nothing like that. Section GG is designed to be able to be scored by any eligible clinician, such as OT, PT, speech, nursing, physicians. And I'm only saying occupational therapists because under Medicare policy, occupational therapy assistants are not able to actually score Section GG because it's an assessment. But occupational therapy assistants and physical therapist assistants are able to contribute information that can go into scoring Section GG. It's important to kind of have a little bit of that distinction, but please know that that use of occupational therapist is intentional. Okay, so we have two sections. We have self-care and we have mobility. What makes these a little bit unique as well is that instead of them being multiple separate items, they're kind of like one item with sub-items. What section GG is, is that we have GG0130, which is self-care items, And then we have GG0170, which is mobility items. And then the items underneath each of those categories are labeled with a letter. So for example, GG0130A is eating. Now, if you're kind of a visual person like me, I highly recommend that you take this time to go ahead and go to the show notes and open the link to AOTA's Section GG handout because It is a very clear and easy to read, and it'll help you keep track of what I'm talking about as I throw all these different numbers and letters your way. So for self-care, for the so the GG0130 items, we have letters A through H or eight items. So A is eating, B is oral hygiene, C is toilet hygiene, D, wash upper body, E, shower and bathe self. F, upper body dressing, G, lower body dressing, and H, putting on and taking off footwear. Now, if you're wondering why there's both a wash upper body and a shower and bathe self, 
It's because wash upper body is only used in LTAC and that's as far as it goes. So if you work in LTAC, you are only going to be scoring those top four, so A through D in the self-care section. The other items are used in ERF, SNF, and home health. And the reasoning for that is that generally patients who are in LTAC tend to be much more debilitated, and so they aren't going to be engaging in upper body, lower body, and dressing and footwear, so they just don't have them score those items. Now, the mobility section is actually significantly longer, and it has a couple of skip patterns or caveats because it has items both for walking and for individuals who primarily utilize a wheelchair. So your first set of items is items A through G, which is roll left to right, sit to lying, lying to sitting on the side of bed, sit to stand, chair or bed to chair transfer, toilet transfer, and car transfer. Now the next items, I through P, should only be scored if the patient typically walks. And so these are items, walk 10 feet, walk 50 feet with two turns, walk 150 feet, walking 10 feet on uneven surfaces, one step or curve, four steps, 12 steps, and picking up an object from the floor. Now, I don't know about you, but all of these sound like functional elements to me. So anyone who says that OT can't score all of section GG, it's nonsense. And same thing as with the self-care items, only some of those items are actually scored on the LCDS or an LTAC versus the full list of items is utilized in ERF, SNF, and home health. One of those examples is GG0170G, car transfers. That one is not utilized in LTAC. But if you look at AOTA's section GG handout, they actually have codes to show you which ones are used where, which is why I think it's such a great resource. Okay, so the last section of the GG0170 is R and S, and these items are only scored if the patient is utilizing a wheelchair. And so that is wheel 50 feet with two turns or wheel 150 feet. There's also a checkbox where you should indicate if the patient is utilizing a manual wheelchair or a motorized wheelchair. So I know that was kind of a lot of information and letters and numbers to throw at you, but that's why having the handout is really helpful to review that. But also I go into these items a lot more in detail in the webinar in the Amplify OT membership for individuals with a full access pass. And before I touch on scoring, I just want to address one of the most commonly asked questions I get, which is when we're scoring items like self-care, toileting, and getting dressed, does it include things like walking to the closet to retrieve items? Initially, I would have said, yes, it includes that when you're scoring upper body dressing. But upon reading more CMS documents, they say that it's really only the task itself. So it shouldn't include the process of getting to and from somewhere because they feel that that is addressed in the mobility items. So for example, if you have a patient getting dressed and they really only require setup, but where they require assistance is getting to and from the closet, you would score the assistance level for like that walking 10 feet and not include it in the actual task of getting dressed. And I know, especially from an OT perspective, that feels really wrong to separate out those two issues because they're related, but it's just kind of like separating the toilet transfer is scored separately from the ability to toilet and to be complete toileting hygiene. So that's why it's important to have input from multiple clinicians on multiple different items is because CMS has kind of separated them out versus I think generally from an OT perspective, we tend to kind of see it all as one part of the task. 
So this is why it's really important to review the language and instructions provided by CMS in their guidance manuals, or CMS also has free training, which I have linked in my article in the show notes on how to score these items. And just as a reminder, accurate scoring is important because it influences quality measures and it influences reimbursement. And so CMS does use Section GG scores as a way to determine the perceived usefulness and impact of therapy services. Like, for example, let's say you score the patient as a little too functional, we give them the benefit of the doubt, or we don't give them an accurate score at admission. And then when it comes time to discharge, the patient's uh, results don't change all that much. What kind of conclusions do you think CMS might draw from that? That, let's say, we provided a bunch of therapy, but the outcome measures really didn't change. That would kind of imply that the therapy services aren't necessary, right? And so it's kind of become an issue. And I mean, there's plenty of arguments to be made that Section GG is by no means the perfect assessment when it comes to looking at the objective value of therapy services. But we have seen that become an issue in recent studies where they have looked at Section GG outcomes and said, look, the frequency and amount of therapy in post-acute care has declined but we aren't seeing a change in functional scores or outcomes. And so they're tending to draw the conclusion that we were over-providing therapy in the past, which there is an argument for that, especially in SNF, and that therapy isn't truly as effective as we like to think it is, which I know is a huge bummer of a statement, but it's just to kind of reinforce the idea of why accurate scoring is important, because what you write down on that assessment can influence the perceived value of occupational therapy, can influence the reimbursement rates of the future, and just so much more. So data is only as accurate as the people scoring the data or submitting the data. And so this is just another reminder as to why it is so important that you understand how to score these items accurately. So with that said, let's talk about how it's scored. One thing that makes Section GG nice is that it has consistent scoring for every single item. If you've ever looked at Section G of the MDS or the M1800 items, every single item has a different way of scoring it. Some have a 1 through 6, some have a 1 through 3, but for Section GG, every single item is scored on a scale of 1 to 6, with 1 being dependent and 6 being independent. And again, the AOTA resource for Section GG has a really lovely graphic kind of showing the yes-no decision as to how to score someone. So it's, again, helpful to take a look at that. But what we have is six is independent, five is setup or cleanup assistance, four is supervision or touching assistance, so your contact guard, three is partial or moderate assistance, two is substantial or maximum assistance, and one is fully dependent. And one important thing to note about the dependent item is that if you need two or more people at the same time to help a patient complete a task, that is automatically putting them at a one or dependent. They do not recognize like a min or mod assist of two. So if you require two people to complete the transfer or complete the task, it is to be scored as dependent. Now, one of therapy's big beefs with the scoring of section GG is the fact that partial and moderate assistance were combined, which we tend to think of min and mod assist, right? And that substantial or maximum assistance is kind of combined into number two. And the reasoning as to why these items were combined is because as CMS was completing their evaluation, their assessment, they found that for patients who had min assist or mod assist requirements, 
there really wasn't that large of a difference in terms of the resources that they need. So again, remember, Gigi is primarily utilized to help determine the anticipated needs of a patient and to help cover those services. So if a patient is low functioning, then CMS reimburses more under PDPM and PDGM than patients who are higher functioning because theoretically, a patient who is lower functioning is going to require more services than someone who is higher functioning. Now, that doesn't mean you should score them as dependent or the lowest possible across the board because that isn't necessarily the case where the most dependent patient gets the most money because, in fact, actually, if they are scored as dependent for pretty much everything, CMS tends not to give as much money because it's kind of assumed that they may be their baseline status or it just isn't appropriate to be providing a ton of services at this time until the patient recovers. So it's a bit of an interesting scale and you can look into all of that if you want to. But just kind of keep that in mind. So that's why, again, it's important to score these accurately. But when CMS was looking at the data, there was not sufficient data to indicate that there was a need to separate out the partial or moderate assistance when it comes to determining the need for services, which is why therapy kind of gets frustrated because then we feel like it isn't discreet enough to show a patient's progress because we know there is a fairly significant difference between a patient requiring 10, 15% physical assistance with the task and requiring like 45%, but that isn't necessarily reflected in Section GG, so you need to make sure that it is definitely reflected within your documentation. Now, the only other things to note in terms of scoring are there are four what are called ANA codes or activity not attempted codes. Now, these codes are intended to be used as infrequently as possible or as little as possible. And these codes are 07, which is resident refused, 09, which is not applicable, 10, which is not attempted due to environmental limitations, and 88, not attempted due to medical conditions or safety concerns. And if you utilize one of those codes, you should definitely be justifying why, but this is also another scenario where it's important to read the instructions because Section GG does say that the preferred method of scoring is observation, but that if you feel you have sufficient evidence of why they may or may not be scored at, you know, X, Y, and Z, like let's say you didn't see the patient actually put on their shoes, but based on the observations of them putting on their pants or reports from the patient and caregiver, you feel that you are able to make a clinically confident assessment as to what their level may be, you can score it that way. So you don't necessarily have to observe the patient completing every single task in order to score them, because as we know, that would often be exhausting for the patients to tell them, okay, we're going to do all these 10,000 things on evaluation. Um, So it's important to remember that you can score it using that. So trying to use the ANA codes as little as possible is really helpful because in some settings, and I believe this is still true in inpatient rehab, if you use one of the ANA codes, so that 7, 9, 10, or 88, When it goes to claims for CMS, it just automatically puts them as a one or dependent, which obviously can really skew the outcomes, both for the baseline and for the discharge levels. So whenever reasonably possible, you should be going ahead and entering in a scoring. Um, Examples of like something that would probably be reasonable is if the patient is just too sick to get out of bed, so we aren't able to do it due to medical conditions or if they didn't perform the task prior to current injury, so it's just not something that is reasonable to score for them because they don't do it anyways, 
or like environmental limitations. If you don't have something that could reasonably mimic a car transfer or you don't have stairs, those sorts of things are reasons why you might potentially not actually score the item if you don't feel like you are able to make a clinical judgment as to what that patient may be at in terms of functional level. And one more note before we go, there are actually a couple of additional GD items that we don't traditionally think about. And this tends to look at prior level of function, and these are items that are only scored at admission. And these two items are GG0100, which is prior functioning, and GG0110, which is prior device use. So GG0110 collects information on their device use, such as a manual wheelchair, motorized wheelchair, scooter, mechanical lift, walker, and orthotics or prosthetics. Um, And if they don't use any of them, you would check the box Z or none of the above. For GG0100 or prior functioning, this includes the ability to report on the patient's ability to complete self-care, indoor mobility or ambulation, stairs, and their functional cognition. Now, these items are not scored on a 1 to 6 scale. They're actually scored on a 1 to 3 scale, with 1 being dependent, just like the same with the regular items, Two, meaning needing some help, so they need partial assistance of another person to complete that task. Or three, being fully independent. And so this kind of just helps establish a baseline of that patient. They also have two kind of ANA codes, which is eight or unknown. So we don't know the patient's usual ability to complete these tasks prior to the illness. And nine is not applicable, meaning that the patient or the resident did not complete that task prior to the current illness or exacerbation. So that is kind of your lickety-split rundown of Section GG. Like I said, I really do cover Section GG more in-depth in the Mastering OT Policy and Medicare course and our Section GG webinar in the Amplify OT membership. And also, if you are a member of my membership, I'm also able to answer your questions. And I would say that getting questions about Section GG is definitely one of the most common ones I get, and I'm more than happy to help answer them or learn with you if I don't know the answer. So The membership is the best way to help get answers and information around this topic. And if you have any additional questions about Section GG or really about anything, please don't hesitate to send them my way. I always do my best to respond to emails as quickly as possible or to provide you with an answer. I have links in the show notes both to sign up for the Amplify OT membership to access my Section GG article, um, which has links to different trainings from CMS that I highly recommend because they're free. Also, we'll have a link to the Section GG handout from AOTA and any additional resources that I decide to throw in for you. So once again, thank you so much for listening to the Amplify OT podcast. I cannot express how much I appreciate your support. Um, And make sure to send me those questions because honestly, some of my best podcast episodes come from questions that come from you. So thank you for being an OT amplifier, and I will see you in the next episode of the Amplify OT podcast. If you made it this far, I want to just take a moment to say thank you so much for listening to the Amplify OT podcast, and I hope you're feeling a little more inspired and prepared to amplify your value and the value of occupational therapy. If you found yourself at any point thinking, gosh, I guess policy isn't that dull and boring, then you're definitely going to love how we talk about policy and advocacy in the Amplify OT membership. There's a link in the show notes where you can sign up today so you can take an immediate next step towards emerging as a confident clinician. And of course, don't forget to follow the Amplify OT podcast so that way you never miss an episode. And you know, while you're there, why don't you go ahead and leave us a five-star review because that's the best way to help others find the podcast too. And of course, thank you so much to Jessica Riccio for editing this podcast and for all of you for giving me a reason to record it. 
You're now officially part of the OT Amplifier community, and you are now prepared to go out there and advocate for OT. Because remember, if we don't advocate for occupational therapy, then who will?